I was looking at the Gospels for the entire month of July, thinking maybe there would be an opportunity to have a continuity of a theme to preach on. As, as I was looking at the Gospels and all the readings, really, for this next month, it became clear to me that I wanted to focus, that the Lord wanted me to focus on prayer. And so over these next four weeks, um, I hope to kind of give a homily series on a how-to pray. I think we all need that reminder sometimes of how are we supposed to pray? Can you recall who it was who taught you how to pray first? Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was grandparents. Maybe it was later on in life that we learned how to pray. I find this to be true for myself, it may be for you, that as you grew older, you learned how to pray less. Right? As a child, there was a purity to your prayer and a trust that you made the prayer and what you asked Jesus in prayer would happen. But then as experience came, you slowly learned that wasn't quite the case that you got everything you asked for in prayer. I remember the very day my innocence of prayer was broken. It was January the 1st of 1994. If you're a Nebraska Cornhusker fan, you remember what happened on that day. I was praying my little seven-year-old heart out. And it seemed God had answered my prayer because that referee gave us one more second. And then you remember why I left. In the heart of a seven-year-old chatter, does God not hear the prayers of the greatest football fans in the world? Who else would he hear, of course? People in Florida State didn't pray, so. We have that innocence as prayers, child, children. And then the rest of our lives, as Jesus portrays for us in the gospel, Right? He's revealed those things to the little ones, to the childlike. Is that really what prayer is? Asking God for something and convincing God to do something. Right? From the time that we were in first grade, we learned that God is all-knowing. He knows everything. God's unchangeable. So how is it that my prayer could change God's mind to do something? It's not really how we're supposed to be looking at prayer. The call is to look at prayer not so much of a, what am I getting out of it? Or what am I saying? It's more so of who am I with. In the book of Genesis, when relationship is spoken of, it's speaking of walking with God. I like this as a beautiful picture. If you were to go with a walk 
with someone. Maybe husband and wife, you walk together, you walk with their children. Sometimes there doesn't even need to be a conversation. Right, but that walk is a time spent in each other's presence. That's a beautiful image for prayer there. We spend time in the presence of the Lord. St. Ignatius of Loyola, in directing his spiritual exercises, these are the retreats that are given, um, namely for Jesuit priests, but they're also, to this day, for priests around the world, also for the lay faithful. He instructs them on how he begins his time of prayer. It's simply this. He says that for the space of an Our Father, which I take to mean 30 seconds, some Italians might take to mean 10 seconds, right? for the space of an Our Father that we're to quietly meditate upon God's gaze on us and then to make some act of reverence. So for myself, this usually looks like I all imagine usually looking up at a crucifix, Jesus gazing at me from the crucifix and just resting in that. 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 seconds to a minute. In that time, that short amount of time is able to direct the whole rest of the time of prayer whether that be 30 minutes or an hour, whether that even be 15 minutes. And it's there that we're able to rest. So as Jesus says, come to me all you are labor and burdened and I will give you rest. It's a perfect place to rest, just in the gaze of Jesus, in the gaze of the Father. I think often when we pray, a lot of us will just get anxious. Am I doing this right? Oh, my mind's wandering so much. And we get more anxious about praying wrong than actually just spending time with someone. Sometimes it's good to just spend some time in prayer that I say nothing. I don't have any agenda. Just simply to be with God. So for me, that's usually at night I pray better. For some of us, it may be in the morning that we pray better. But we take some time, we spend that in quiet with God. That may be that we go to a, come to the church and spend some time before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, reserved in the tabernacle, or it could be that we have time in a quiet corner of our house that we have set up for prayer. To end my homily, I want to um, end just leading you in kind of how I begin a moment of prayer as I explained how St. Ignatius teaches. Um, to lead you in that, and hopefully that can become a habit for you in prayer, that you use that technique to center your heart on God. 
right, to allow the gaze of the Lord to be upon us. So we call ourselves into the holy presence of God. As you place your hand on your heart, just be aware of the beating of your heart. You can do this with your eyes open or your eyes closed, whichever works better for you. If you need to look at a crucifix to do it or if imagining is better for you. Just see the Lord gazing on you with love. What does that gaze look like? How do you feel? Be aware of the love of Jesus for you. Then we'll just take a minute or so to rest in the presence of that love, the gaze of the Father, the gaze of Jesus. This morning I want to continue on the four-part homily series that I am giving on prayer. Last Sunday in the first part, we started with the basics. Prayer is simply about putting ourselves in the presence of God. I ended that homily with a moment of prayer that we just called ourselves into that presence of God and meditating on his gaze upon us. Today I want to focus on cultivating a heart that's ready to receive the grace of God. Our readings that we have today are rich with the symbolism of farming. And Jesus, like any good preacher, used the environment that was around his audience to teach. Several years back, I was in the Holy Land, and it was during my deacon year, and some of the men I was studying with, we decided that we were going to trek from the Sea of Galilee up to the Mount of Beatitude. Probably be about a mile and a half uphill. And as we climbed the hill, we slowly realized how rich the clay and the soil of the Mount of Beatitude was that we were climbing. Our feet were sinking in deep. And so slowly we had to find rocky ground that was on that mount. Throughout the mountainside, people would grow orchards and crops on the mountain. There would be flat land on it. The rocky soil would be in between each of those fields right, for them to be able to traverse between. Not much had changed since the time of Jesus. So this would have been what Jesus was looking at. From the sea on the boat, he would be looking up at this very mountain. And so pointing to that, he was teaching them about the kingdom of God 
by looking at the very work that they do, many of these people being farmers. For our second sermon on prayer, I want to focus on the grace of God and our awareness of it. To make this parable plain and simple, we are dirt. God's grace is the seed. His grace is also the rain. I don't think I need to give too much of a farming lesson. I think more so I need a lesson in farming. But for seed to grow, right, the soil needs to be cultivated. And as little as I know, I know that's hard work. And like any hard work, right, often we look back and we say, what worked, what didn't work? What fields were good, which fields were not? Jesus speaks of the spiritual life as a harvest. A life of prayer is working of the soil of our hearts. And it's essential to a great harvest. I want to present a tool of prayer that will help to increase our yield in prayer. To make sure that we use the fullness of the grace that God pours upon us. This tool, like the prayer I used last week, comes from St. Ignatius of Loyola. If you haven't caught the drift, I'm a big fan of St. Ignatius. It's simply called the examine. Now, I know many of us have probably prayed our examination of conscience. This is when we, before we make a good confession, we're particularly looking at our own sinfulness. The examine that St. Ignatius taught was not so much that we looked at our sin. Yes, we do look at our sin, but more so that we're reflecting on the grace of God throughout the day. On the back of the bulletin, to make it easy so you don't have to take notes or remember anything, um, we put the five steps of the examine prayer on the back of the bulletin. So when you pick up your bulletin coming out of Mass today, you can take your homework home with you there. This prayer for myself is best said before going to bed. St. Ignatius so highly regarded this form of prayer that when he spoke to his missionary priest, who were very busy, some of them doing up to a hundred to even thousands of baptisms a day, right? he told them if they were to only have one opportunity for prayer in the day, that that prayer was to be this examined and to never skip it. It's both a prayer and it's an attitude. And the beauty of it is that when I practice this regularly, I become aware of the graces that the Lord pours upon me each and every day. Right, and so that question of does the Lord ever answer my prayers becomes more clear when I pray this each day, because each day I see 
that the Lord has poured his grace upon me. We can see this tie in today's gospel, right? We want to be those who have eyes and see and have ears and hear. That we see the grace that the Lord pours upon us. That our hearts are the hearts with rich soil in which that seed of grace falls and flourishes and yields a bountiful harvest. But sometimes we have those hearts that we're overcome with worldly anxieties. Right? Our hearts are rocky. Sometimes we receive a grace with great joy in one moment. But we fail to look back on it. Right? It's that looking back on the graces of God that allows it to take root in our heart. And so I want to go through each of the five steps of this prayer and just kind of explain it. First step is to call upon the Holy Spirit to ask God for light. In all prayer, we should always start by asking the Holy Spirit to come down upon us. Right? We don't know how to pray as we ought. It's the Holy Spirit who instructs us in our prayer. And so for asking for the light of God in this first step, right, that, my, that I see the day as a full through the eyes of God, not through my own eyes. Step two is that I give thanks to God. This isn't necessarily that it's for a particular grace, yet if it is, that's okay. More so, it's just that um, disposition of gratitude. Right? Thank you, God, for another day. Step three is really the meat of this prayer. That's a review of the day guided by the Holy Spirit. Usually I'll go section by section of the day, so morning, afternoon, evening. Right? But it's not so much a review of the day like I would in a business review or something of that extent. Right? This is a review of the day with the Holy Spirit. And what's beautiful about this when I go through it, right, and I see where God was present in the day. I see where his grace was. And sometimes moments that I wouldn't have noticed if I didn't do this prayer become very clear. Right? Chance encounters become clear. Conversations. Maybe even just the simple time of that I saw something in nature. And so I go through this hour by hour. Where was the Lord's grace in the day? Step four. This is where we do reflect on sin. Step four is to face my shortcomings. 
Did I do something wrong today? Was I harsh in a conversation? Was there sinfulness today? Is there some repeated shortcoming in my own life? And simply saying, I'm sorry, Lord. And that leads us into step five. In step five, I look forward to the day to come. Here it's important that I'm asking the Lord for specific grace. Right? That I'm asking the Holy Spirit for strength in the day in a particular area. It may be connected to step four there. Right? Where do I need you, Lord, tomorrow? It's through this method of prayer, through this time spent in prayer, that I'm able to cultivate my heart, that, that the soil of my heart's fruitful. Right? That the grace is that the Lord poured upon me, right? receive that fruitfulness, that they become great fruit. And so the challenge is this next week is maybe I can give it as homework. Right? That at least two days this next week. Be great if we did it all seven. Right? But at least two days this next week, look at that prayer on the back of the bulletin and spend a couple days, at least two days praying that prayer before you go to bed at night. I promise that you'll notice a difference on how you receive the graces of God that day. Well, today we'll continue with um, part three of the July homily series on how to pray. Today I want to specifically focus on praying with Scripture. We're told today in um, St. Paul's letter to the Romans that we do not know how to pray as we ought, right? But it's the Holy Spirit that expresses and intercedes for us with our inexpressible groanings. It's this whole same Holy Spirit that knows what we need and knows what those yearnings of our hearts are. This verse can give great comfort to us that um, all of us are novices, really, when it comes to prayer. The point of expertise comes that we are able to be docile and open to the Holy Spirit. I think I've tried to focus this on this in the first two homilies, that we're open to the Holy Spirit. We spoke first about resting in that gaze of the Father, right? something that can only be received in communion with the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday, I spoke on praying the examine prayer, which the first step is essential that we ask for the light of the Holy Spirit. And when we read sacred scripture, when we read the Bible, the same remains true. If I read scripture without the Holy Spirit guiding me, it can just become a confusing book. Right? And it's not really a moment of prayer. But Holy Scriptures is really a continuous story in itself. 
it's easy to get lost in it. Right? But the scriptures presents us this story of a God who created us in love. Right? Of we, man, who turned against him in sin. And then the Lord's merciful and loving pursuit to win us back to the point of sending his own son right, to win us back in salvation. And so when we pray with scripture, we're entering into that story. And it's much different than reading a book, even if it's a book written by a popular theologian, right, speaking of the things of God. Right, when we pray with Scripture, we're praying with the very words written by God through the instrument of human authors. But often, I think, when I pray with Scripture, and when we all pray with Scripture, it can become a daunting task. Even from the moment of where do I start, what do I begin with? There's a method of praying with scripture that's called Lexio Divina. It's literally translated divine reading. Right? And this comes from the Benedictine tradition, from the, monk, the Benedictine monks. And the method I want to present to you today is a simplified form of that method. It's called the wrap method, like you're wrapping a present. Right? And those letters stand for to write, reflect, apply, and pray. So I'll go through each of those steps again, like previous weeks on the back of the bulletin, we've put a summation of that to help out a little bit. This method also brings in an important form of prayer, which is a journaling. If we journal while we pray, um, we're able to look back on it in times and see what the Lord's done in our life through the days, through the years. So the first step, as the first step should be in all prayer, right, is that we begin calling ourselves into the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can use the prayer that we used the first week of focusing on the gaze of the Lord or you could pray one of your traditional prayers, praying our Father, Hail Mary, just calling on asking the presence of the Lord as we enter into a time of prayer. Next, we read the scripture passage that we've picked out several times. And this might be the most difficult part, the picking out of a scripture passage sometimes. What passage do I read? Here's a couple really easy suggestions. First one is if you pick up at the back of church regularly the Word Among Us that has the daily and Sunday Mass readings, um, that could be a really easy way to find a reading to go with. Right? You can go with the Gospel of the day or the Gospel for the upcoming Sunday. Sometimes I'm guilty of using the... Um, book balance method to find a passage of scripture. That's where I balance the Bible up on its spine and just let it fall open. Sometimes that can be a really scary result, though. 
So I think that what the church gives us in the daily mass readings is a good place to start. Um, there's also several lists that you come find in back of Bibles or on the internet of a daily um, Bible reading plan. You could use one of those as well. I'll read over whatever passage that I've picked a few times, slowly. And while doing that, I may become aware of a verse, an image, or several verses that stood out to me. And this moves to the W, the first letter of our acronym, to write. Right? I write down what were those words that stood out for me. So, for example, say I chose Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 40, which is the story, story of Jesus in the storm. Right? And maybe the verse that stood out to me was peace, when the Lord speaks, peace be still. And so I just simply write that down. Nothing too complicated there. The R stands for reflect. This is asking, what does the scripture need? What is the scripture trying to teach in this particular verse? And this isn't meant to be a painstaking academic exercise. Right? I don't need to go and look up Greek and learn Greek and all of that to, to do this. This is just seeing what is a simple truth being communicated. And so, continuing with the example of Christ in the storm, maybe, maybe the truth that comes to mind as I'm reading this, right, is that Christ never leaves us alone in the challenges of life. Now, it's not so much as I'm reflecting that I'm just pouring over in my own mind what is the teaching meant to be here, but that I'm asking the Holy Spirit to enlighten me. Now, of course, if anything, if what comes to our mind is anything different than what the church has teached or what we have learned, right, or what the Bible has teach, taught us, then we know that's probably not the voice of the Holy Spirit. We'll go through that in another week. The A stands for apply. This gets me to the fact of prayer. Right, in the first week I mentioned that prayer is not so much that I'm trying to change God's mind. That can't happen. Right, the very purpose of prayer is that it changes my own heart. And so in this step, in the apply step, I'm focusing on where is the Lord calling me to change in my own life? What is this verse calling me to change? And this isn't meant to be like a self-counseling session or anything. Right? It's simply asking the question, Jesus, what do you want me to change? So if I were to use our example of the story of Christ in the storm, maybe into my thoughts comes that I need to change that, I need to trust Jesus more and stop making so many anxious plans. 
And then we want to come up with something practical and achievable to accomplish and to write this down. Maybe for that example, maybe I would write down something of praying that Jesus, I trust in you to my mercy prayer each day. P, the last letter, stands for pray. In this, we just simply write our own prayer in our own words that offers thanksgiving or praise to God in the context of that scripture verse that we just read. Right, so, for example, maybe for this session of prayer, I might have just written down the words, Jesus, I trust in you. After I've finished all these steps, I'm called just to rest. Just to rest in the presence of the Lord. I can call myself back to the gaze of God on me right, and just spend some time to rest. And that will end your time of prayer. Usually, all in all, when this is done, it takes around 30 minutes. So it might be helpful over the next week if you set aside a couple days with periods of 30 minutes and maybe choose two of your favorite scripture passages or choose a couple from the daily readings the next week. And again, I've put all those steps on the back of the bulletin. So as we can put those into practice in our own daily lives, that we can pray with Scripture and really be open to the working of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. Is there a prayer that ranks above all? One that's worth more than anything? One that we could measure as being a pearl of great price that we would sell everything to obtain. We know and we've been taught since our catechism days, right, that the Our Father is the perfect prayer. This is true. There is, however, one more form of prayer that also ranks above all and is the perfect prayer, in which the very purpose or the end of prayer, happens in one simple moment. Pope Francis, in a 2017 general audience, stated, The Mass is prayer, or rather, it is the prayer par excellence, the highest, the most sublime, and at the same time, the most concrete. It is an encounter with the Lord. And this is not just some thought of Pope Francis, but it echoes throughout the ages. Some may see this as a contradiction, right? How can the Mass and the Our Father both be the greatest prayer? Right? Just because there's two greatest prayers doesn't mean it's a contradictory of each other. Right? Both can be a perfect prayer. Right? And they're both perfect prayers for the same reason. That they were given to us by Jesus Christ himself. And that they cover all of the elements of prayer that need to be covered. The Catechism tells us that the Eucharist is the source 
and the summit of our faith. And in regards to prayer, this means that all of my private prayer, all my devotional prayer, all of the elements of prayer that we've gone through over the last three weeks should lead me to the Eucharist. The goal of prayer is union with God. Right? So if we properly understand the Eucharist, then this goal is achieved by the reception of the Eucharist. Right? As we receive into our bodies and our souls the very person of Jesus Christ in an intimate way that's unmatched by any other prayer we could possibly partake in, this is achieved. The Eucharist also fits all these types of prayers, right? A prayer of prayer, a prayer of praise, of adoration, of petition, of intercession, of thanksgiving, of sacrifice. Right? The greatest prayer that Jesus offered, that Jesus made, was his own sacrifice on the cross. And the Mass makes this very prayer, this very act of Jesus present, and we become one with it. In this moment, the sacrifice of Jesus becomes our own sacrifice. His own merits become ours. And we're able to approach God the Father with worthy hearts because we enter into that very sacrifice of Jesus. His prayer becomes ours. Our prayer becomes his. On the night before he died at the Last Supper, Jesus created this very prayer that extended his own suffering and death into eternity. Lastly, the Eucharist is communal. Right? Through the Eucharist, not only are we brought into this perfect communion with God, but also with the human family, both living and dead. Right? We're brought into perfect communion with them. As it said in the preface before we sing the Holy Holy, right? with all the angels and the saints, we're surrounded in that exultant spirit prayer of praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of hosts. Right? The Mass isn't just an earthly prayer, but also the one prayer that takes place in heaven. Over these fa- past few weeks, we've been going through the parables where Jesus pro- is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And there's this tension that exists, that the kingdom of God is both in heaven, but it's also now. And when we pray, we bring the kingdom of God now into the reality. But there's this great moment at the Mass that those two realities collide with each other. that our reality of now becomes the reality of the eternity in heaven, that we're joined together. And thus my prayers, my fruits of prayer, everything that I've had through the last week, 
as I bring it to the altar, it becomes part of that eternal prayer. So practically, what does this mean for us? As I said, as I pray throughout the week, the Mass is in no way meant to replace my personal prayer. In fact, personal prayer is meant to better dispose me to be able to receive grace at Mass. So if I'm doing my daily examine, if I'm reading Scripture regularly, if I'm praying regularly, then my awareness of those graces that I've received throughout the week, especially through doing that daily examine, make it easier for me when I come to Mass to call those graces to mind and to place them on the altar as a sacrifice to Jesus. We're returning his gifts to us as a gift to him. Right? This is an occasion that re-gifting is okay. Right? That we give that gift back to Jesus. And in turn, he gives that gift back to us and sanctifies it even more. Seals those gifts with his sanctifying grace. Sunday Mass, then, becomes not just one day of duty, but the end of a week's prayer, and really the height of prayer. But it also becomes a catalyst to drive me into prayer the next week. One last point on prayer. It is the on-scene that is the most powerful in prayer. I think often when we think of prayer, we can exaggerate the things that are seen, the things that are felt, the emotions. It's not those things that are the most powerful in prayer. Prayer is not about the feelings, but about the reality. Mother Teresa is a great example of this. Right, throughout her life, and we only learned this after her death, after her journals were released, right, that she wrote of this great spiritual desolation that she had throughout her whole life, not even feeling the presence of God during most moments. Yet it was in those moments that she knew she was closest to God, that she was with Jesus on the cross. It would be a mistake for me to associate feelings with prayer. I'm sure that when Jesus was on the cross suffering, right, he probably didn't have those feelings that we often associate with good prayer. Now, it shouldn't be mistaken. Sometimes the Lord does give those to us, and we should delight in those moments they are a gift. But when we come to Mass and we receive Jesus' body and blood, despite what we may feel, it's in that moment that we've received the most profound grace that we ever will in our lives. I'll close with this. The opening prayer we heard today asked, 
that we may use the good things that pass in such a way as to hold fast even now to those that ever endure. Right? That we may use those gifts of this life that are passing, that are just blessings that go away, and that we turn and give those gifts back to God so that we may clean to the gifts that last forever. And so as we enter into the celebration and the sacrifice at the altar in a moment, when the offertory is made, make a note of those graces of prayer. Those are things that eternally endure. Right? Those graces of prayer that we've had over the last week. And also those graces that were worldly, not in the bad sense of the word, but worldly graces and that we offer those as a sacrifice to him, as a gift to him. For this is the greatest prayer that we can make.